I spent the entire drive home from the doctor this morning thinking about softcore pornography. Mm-hmm. It seems like time well spent. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hey, howdy. And for music video sins, Barrett Share. Hello. Uh, yeah. Today we're going to do one of those basic ass episodes, right? A B A E. <laughs> a B A E. A B A E. Um, yeah. Uh, typically, we would be recording on a Tuesday, but we're recording two this week because Barrett's got to go do vacation stuff. And, Barrett. You know, um, have a good Families. time. Good, have a good time, asshole. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have come at all. Jerk off. <laughs> I just wanted to hang out. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> um, but uh, it is October 2nd when we're recording here, and, uh, and the, the news of the day is that our president, Donald Trump, has... Uh, got the coronavirus along with the first lady and the senator from Utah. I think Mike Lee is his name. And mm-hmm. uh, RNC chair Ronna McDaniel's got it. And, uh, you know, it runs the gamut here. Um, but I just wanted to mark that s- sort of occasion here because it's going to be October 11th or so, or October 12th, mm-hmm. um, when this uh, when this comes out. So. I don't know if there's going to be anything that we say that has anything to do with that, but I just felt like we should mark the occasion on that because that is something I think more than anything that anybody should take out of that is, hey, wear a mask. Hey, be safe. Hey, Mm -hmm. do the right thing because even the president of the United States can get it. Of course, we've seen leaders around the world already getting it. Boris Johnson Mm -hmm. got it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Bolsonaro got it twice. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it, it shows that it can happen to anybody. So, I mean, all this stuff about, we don't have to do such and such and we won't get it and blah, 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 blah. That's the thing right there. It just shows you, you, if you, if you, you know, if you laugh in the face of this nonsense, then you're going to eventually get it. If you keep doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And, and as we said before this, Anything could happen between the times that we're recording this and the time that you are listening to this. So, yeah, uh, yeah. If you get on the message boards, like, how did you not know whatever right. is happening? Yeah, uh, in the last nine, the ten days, the you know that before this gets on the before this is published, yeah, obviously, you know, yeah, we didn't know. We did this, you know, two weeks ago. We did a uh, sin week in the very last week uh, that you could really do anything. Before coronavirus, so and holy shit! If you listen to some of the things that might have been said during all of that, completely ignorant, <laughs> totally ignorant. <laughs> so well, we're, we're going to talk about movies anyway. We are going to talk about movies today, uh, but yeah, basic ass episode. Um, so we've got recommends and warns. We got questions. We're going to get into that shit. So recommends and warns who wants to start us off uh i got a rant i 
feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I'm as mad as hell. You've never seen me very upset. Oh, oh <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> I, I only have one warn, so this will be the place of my recommend. Okay. Uh, I am going to say at the outset, this is ultimately my fault, but Amazon has the power to help me, and they're not using it. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the last few months, you may have seen me tweet or heard me talk about my renewed interest in golf. I used to play a lot in high school. I was really good. I've played sporadically ever since, but recently I've been playing a lot, mostly with Barrett, and I've been getting better. <clears throat> yeah. And about six weeks ago, I decided I'm going to get serious and buy new clubs. I bought a set of irons and I bought three individual woods, um, a five wood, a three wood and a driver. I bought a new putter. I don't like the new putter. Uh, It has a really fat grip and I decided I needed to get a new putter, a new new putter. And I went on Amazon and I bought a new putter. And it came and I opened the box and I was so excited. Hmm. And I pulled it out and it was a fucking left handed putter. Oh, shit. Now, there are, I know when you buy clothes, you usually have to pick your size in a drop-down menu and maybe your color. Um, well, when you buy a putter, you have, there's a drop-down menu for, an option for left-handed or right-handed. There's an option for 33-inch, 34-inch, 35-inch. There's an option for fat grip, regular grip. There are a lot of options. Amazon fucking knows I'm a right-handed golfer. Just based on my previous purchases, yeah. right? They mm-hmm. can they suggest related items. Maybe this is their I way of covering. Maybe this is their way of covering it up. Yeah, well, we don't know. We get we sent you a left handed potter. What do we know? <laughs> they know I live at this address. They know this is not a gift for somebody else. They should have enough algorithmic smarts for a little pop up to go. Are you sure you want to buy this, Jeremy, you <laughs> right-handed motherfucker? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no reason, there's no reason for me them to ever send me a left-handed putter without some sort of a warning based mm-hmm. on my history in just the last several months. And uh, you know, again, I accept responsibility. I'm going to I'm going to, to to sell the putter to Barrett who plays left-handed golf and I have already bought a right-handed replacement that will come in a week or two. I just feel like the whole thing could have been avoided if if Amazon was just a little more proactive. I know that they want to sell me as much shit as possible, and that's how their algorithm is is written. But you know, a happy customer is a return customer who talks about. You're a return customer. You bought duplicates of like a million things, didn't you? Buy like two Playstations or something? Fuck off! I did not. I almost (laughs) bought two Playstations. I I loaded the second one as a joke. (laughs) I loaded the second one into the cart when I was drunk, and in the morning it was still there. I did not buy it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I'm saying in the duplicate stuff, Amazon's never come up and said. Are you sure you want to do this? You've oh, already got want, three copies of the Martian. Oh, <laughs> they want you to buy duplicates, man. I've I've bought shit before where it's like, would you like to buy it again? And it's like, you know, you know, a series of unfortunate events or some shit like that. And you're like, what the fuck? Why would I buy a second you, you copy so that I can have an upstairs version of it? <laughs> anyway, that's my rant. Help me, Amazon. If you send me the right product the first time, I'm a happier guy. I'm not going to make you my rant on a podcast with gobs of listeners. 
bitches. All right, recommends and warrants. <laughs> it reminds me, just as an aside, uh, when I first started buying Blu-rays, I went to Walmart, and they used to just put the DVDs mixed in with the Blu-rays. Oh, yeah. And, like, I would find the movie, and, you know, like, so the, at the time, like, a lot of uh, movies would have the different packaging where it was DVD and Blu-ray, but it was still in the DVD packaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, it, th- there was a lot of times you couldn't just tell right off the bat. It just like, here's the Blu-rays and you're just in the Blu-ray section. Didn't know they put DVDs in there and like bought a whole bunch of like DVD stuff oh. and, and mixed with some Blu-rays, obviously. And then I was just like, I got home and opened it up and I was like, wait a minute, what is this? This is just a fucking DVD. Um, and, uh, I had to, had to, had to go back this? and return that. Yeah. Fuck this DVD noise. <laughs> what is this? 2008? Um, <laughs> the dark ages. Yeah. Hey, I've got a question, by the way. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the same increase from DVD to Blu-ray that you did from VHS to DVD. Yes. Yes. Maybe even more. Yeah. The only even th- more. Maybe. Yeah. The the only thing that has not the in that same comparison, Blu-ray to 4K doesn't have that same kind of quality mm, difference. Not as stark, right? No. I mean, you can tell. Yeah. But it's not like you know. I mean, and what's amazing about if you have 4K. Uh, TV and player is if you put a Blu-ray in it, it looks pretty fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you want to, I mean, you, you definitely want to take advantage of the 4k stuff, but, uh, but you know, I mean, if you've got the equipment, it just, it looks good. It looks really good no matter what. So, but yeah, uh, the, the Blu-ray to D- Blu-ray from DVD was definitely way better um mm, dvd mm. was was clearly a, a contrast from vhs mm. for sure uh but i didn't realize and especially until you start playing dvds uh in anything like that's i have a bunch of dvds yeah um you play dvd you can tell i mean it's mm-hmm. it's very very much lower quality mm-hmm. um uh, but again, you can put a DVD in a 4K player, and a lot of times that looks pretty fucking amazing. You can still, <laughs> you can still see the difference, though, even though even though it's getting enhanced. But mm. anyway, uh, recommends and warns. Now, who wants to kick us off on that? Totes amaze balls. There, great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. I'll do it. All right. Okay. I have the first ever recommend a warn. Okay. Ooh, what? Yeah, because it, it's a weird one. It's I'm, I'm this is going to be multi level, and I need your help. Okay. Uh, okay. So I watched a movie on the service that we we have, Mubi. Uh, this is not a paid ad for Mubi, uh, but a, 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 a title popped up called Salon Kitty uh, recently, mm. and I had seen this mentioned uh, or heard this mentioned by like uh, film students that I used to hang out with. And uh, it's a 1976 uh, Italian movie directed by Tinto Brass. And it, um, it has Nazis in it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Tinto Brass, the director, first of all, was, uh, was tapped to uh, do the original uh, Caligula uh, mm-hmm. and direct that. Before uh, Bob Guccione came in, along, uh, but he is known as an erotic, uh, softcore 
director. Yes, okay. I want to hear more. I don't know. Listening? Well, I, I spent the entire drive home from the doctor this morning thinking about softcore pornography mm-hmm. and how Seems like time well spent. How mm-hmm. it is de- defined. So in America, I'm going to get into the plot of the movie. By the way, in a, in a little bit. Uh, but no, no, in we America, should talk about the porn first. Well, we are. Uh, mm-hmm. In America, we all grew up on the the quote softcore pornography of Cinemax or even mm-hmm. HBO or the the mm-hmm. premium cable stuff being generally defined as they look like they're humping. Uh, you can see breastuses, right? You you can't see genitals or maybe the outer part of a woman's genitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see pumping. It, sometimes there's an oral sex scene, but you can tell like they're up by the belly button yeah. Uh, yeah. Every, every time. So that doesn't really count. It's always hilarious, too, because the guy's always like, I'm in ecstasy. And you're like, <laughs> she's up by his he's nipples. He's always by, like, by his, you know, like, yeah, his kneecap. <laughs> it cuts the guy going, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious. Okay, so, t- so Tinto Brass is is known for softcore pornography but uh it, it may be a european thing but they do buttholes mm. they do they do labias mm. they do masturbation mm. and they do heavy petting yeah okay and they also do un un or unaroused uh dicks a lot of that dicks in this this just sounds uh, like regular today. porn oh <laughs> I, I know where this argument's about. That. <laughs> yeah, there's no. There are some Tinto Brass movies, and I've seen a couple um, that uh, <laughs> that show like uh, erect penises, but they're obviously dildos. Yes, I'm having this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's no there's no real penetration uh, going on, and I think that's what defines it. And it's so weird that culturally. And it may be the time too. This was 1976. Yep. Uh, that culturally, that the European version of softcore pornography is still we're getting right up in there. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, but American has always been. You know, I'm going to cover my junk and ride on top of you, mm-hmm. uh, but with obviously no penetration going on. So, I, 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 do you guys have you guys ever seen? This version of softcore pornography in the U.S. with labias and masturbation and buttholes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Well, okay. Uh, I, I'm going to say I probably have because, um, like in the '90s, yes, in the '90s, like it was, it was very, it was very like you know, make sure that we don't show too much and we make sure right. that people know that they're not actually having sex and everything. It got a little bit racier there uh, towards, and, and I haven't now, believe it or not, I haven't seen any softcore porn, pornography in a long time. <laughs> I don't think anybody has. Um, but, do they even uh, make it anymore? I think they do. They but probably like, do, yeah. But, uh, but it started showing a little bit more there, like towards the end of the time that I watched any of that type of stuff. Really? Uh, yeah. So it got and, a little looser with the rules. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that they would go full on show like just a five second shot of somebody masturbating or something like mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. it would you be enough where you were like, oh god, they showed way they showed way more there than they normally do. But I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it has probably went as far as this 1970s a European movie did. I'm going to assume that that's true. 
I still, still, I still say that it's always going to be classified as softcore if they don't show penetration and stuff like that. So. Yeah, that's weird because you can you can see people manually doing doing their thing, <laughs> doing their yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, all that underlying, and I, I'm glad we had this discussion because yes, to, absolutely, to kind of important. Wake people up with out. the with the sex. Um, uh, yeah. So there is a lot of that in this movie, and it, there's a reason for it. It's uh, it's it's based on a real thing. Uh, the Salon Kitty was a brothel opened in Berlin uh, by this guy Wallenberger um, that uh, was set up for the 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 hoes to actually be trained agents to be mm. to to collect intel on like people like Goebbels went into this this mm. place like high level Nazi. Uh, personnel and also people uh, from other countries and everything. And they, they, they collect Intel and they uh, go up the chain. They record all this stuff. And this is something that actually happened. And so it's set in that sort of story where this, this girl Kitty um, is, is basically training to become one of these uh, spy hoes. And then they, she, collects all this this stuff she falls in love at one point and it ends up being the the main antagonist who's played by helmet B- uh, burger who's a big oh yeah yeah um the main antagonist uh she finally gets dirt on him and he gets executed at the end i'll spoil it he gets executed at the end and the movie's good the movie's kind of good it's not just tits and, and buttholes and stuff like that. It's actually like, uh, has something interesting to portray. Now, is it high cinema? Is it, uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola or anything like that? No. Uh, <laughs> but is it gauzy at sometimes and lingering and pervy? Yes. Mm. Uh, but also this, this has some meat to it. This has some substance to it. And I, I, I assume that's why it was on movie, uh, who isn't, in the habit of just throwing up, you know, filth for filth sake or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a fascinating movie. If you do have movie, if you've signed up for it, uh, you know, given our ads and everything, again, this is not a paid advertisement, but you can get it free at movie.com slash cinema. Uh, we're not making any money for that. I'm just telling you. Um, but, uh, but if you do have movie, I, I suggest put the kids to bed. I suggest that you check this out and uh, see what you think if you're triggered by Nazism, which obviously I, I understand, especially these days, uh, then maybe it's not for you. Uh, but the story itself actually captivated me, and it's it's not going to be for everybody. That's why it's a recommend to warn. But it's fascinating. Chris, I think you might dig this, my friend. Yeah, I probably would. And it's yeah. in English, too. It's actually... Uh, I don't think it's dubbed. I think it's actually in English. You're saying um, you're saying this is a recommend to warn because it's a good movie, but you're warning because of the content. The content, you know, whether you whether you're you're turned off by the slightly elevated softcore pornography or obviously the Nazism, the fascism. This takes place in like 1939 or something like that in uh, Nazi-occupied Germany. So mm-hmm. um, that's. It's it's actually in a genre called Nazi exploitation, uh, but it's not exploiting uh, the good parts of Nazism or anything like that. It's it's right. it's it's, ex- it's exploring the bad things and the things that actually they did do in there. Uh, you, when you think about it, installing 
trained agents as uh, Hua's in a uh, brothel is probably pretty good idea for mm-hmm. intel yeah. uh, but it's a shame that the nazis used it so mm-hmm. anyway that's a that's a weird recommendable that's a thing yeah mm-hmm. thank you for <laughs> blessing us with that yeah. <laughs> i'm glad that we could get the softcore and hardcore pornography conversation in there that's uh that was that was good um, All right, so hardcore is where penetration <clears throat> is involved in actual things that would be my interpretation of it I think, I think it, so too. I, would, I mean, that's just I, to well, me. Well, in School of Rock, they said you're not hardcore. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh, sometimes I just leave my mouth shut. Yeah, Ain't man. Hard being so hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got to warn. I got to warn. I gotta warn. (laughs) You know me. I like to flip channels. I like to find a movie that I've never heard of that has people I know in it. Or sounds like it could just be a cheap thrill kind of movie. I'm I'm flipping channels the other night, and I see this movie from 2017 called Hot Summer Nights. And already, I like it. Is this softcore porn? (laughs) No. I, I, I read the description. And it says an awkward teenager gets in over his head dealing drugs while falling for his business partner's enigmatic sister during one scorching summer in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And I'm like, sweet. Mm -hmm. You know who's in this fucking movie? Timothy Chalamet and Michael Monroe, the girl from It Follows. They're the two. And so once I flip to and see that this is who's in it, I'm like, well, I'm fucking watching this because they're both great. This movie's not great. I would Mm -hmm. not recommend taking this ride. (laughs) There are moments where the cinematography is great. And it reminded me a few times of Euphoria in that regard, Mm -hmm. the HBO show. Uh, But it has the thinnest of story and the characters have no depth. There's literally, (laughs) there's literally a scene where she says, uh, I used to catch fireflies in uh, jars when I was little. I don't anymore. Something like that. It's just (laughs) the kind of dialogue that would make you cringe. I sent Patrick, I can't. I don't know if Twitter will rem, will let me go back far enough. But I sent him a couple of lines. One of the characters said, "One of them was, you wouldn't know Prince Charming if he was coming on your face." Um, <laughs> wow! And there was another line that said, "My tampon just crawled further up inside me." Um, <clears throat> this is some there's some bad dialogue and some paper thin characters, some gorgeous cinematography, and very pretty people. And as Chalamet and Monroe are sort of like falling for each other, making out, having sex, you're like, hey, I might be about to get aroused, uh, but you won't because it's going to fade to black and cut away to something boring because <laughs> this movie wants to be a summer romance and uh, in over your head drug dealer movie all at once. And uh, <clears throat> it, it really doesn't succeed at either. Um, you know, Chalamet's good. The actors are fine with the material they're given, but there was a lot of time that I just thought, man, they must have been groaning in their trailers rehearsing these lines mm. because if they even had trailers, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so there you go. It looks like it had a two hundred and thirty thousand dollar box office bonanza after A twenty four picked it up and mm. uh, has a forty three on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and I do not recommend. That's yeah. an A twenty four movie. Yeah, well, it was at South by Southwest and A24 bought it, but that's the way most of A24 movies work anyway. People like to think they're like Pixar, where they just make all their films from the ground up, but they make a lot of purchases at festivals. So, 
They've had such a good record. This has got to be one of their only blights, honestly. I imagine I mean, we have quite a few blights. We have I was going to say, of. after finding this, I'm thinking there are more we just never heard of. Because this had a very limited theatrical release, and then it was on direct TV streaming or cinema channel or something. Right now, huh. it's on Hulu, though. If you want to, if you do want to see uh, the movie, I'm telling you, you should not want to see. <laughs> um, I'm going to recommend a series that I saw on Netflix called Challenger: The Final Flight. I'm so interested in this. Is um, this uh, 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 fictionalized or is not fictionalized? Is this acted or is this actual events? No, it's four. It's four uh, documentary episodes of of it. It's got footage from back in 1986 and everything. Challenger, much like 9-11, is one of those uh, where were you when type of uh, uh, experiences. And, and, and they're similar for me because I didn't watch either of them unfold. I had heard about them after they had happened. Uh, I was in third grade. It was on my birthday when this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, we came back in from recess and our teacher came in and said, yeah, there's been a disaster, you know whatever and i didn't even know i mean I, I don't think i even knew there was a rocket launch that day even mm. i didn't hear anything about it but we sat there and we watched that news thing where they were playing it over and over and over again like they showed every possible angle they had of it um and uh so yeah it was one of those sort of defining moments and and everything and and uh but this one i mean you know this is Challenger is a great is great for the uh, the story is uh, the story that they tell is a good example of how you know how you perceive stories at the beginning when they're speculating what might have happened and 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 everything and then finally hearing what the real story is many years down the line and everything they actually got to the they actually got to the the reasoning for Challenger uh, challengers, uh, malfunction, um, Hmm. pretty, pretty soon afterwards. I just did not. I mean, I was nine years old, but, um, but, uh, but they had, but that the, the point of it is, is they show that, that NASA and all the people who were involved with the construction of the rocket and everything, they had, they had, uh, you know, some reservations about the O-rings that were on these rocket boosters. Um, they had, there were people who had seen damage on other flights and other tests and everything. And they, they were supposed there's, there were on each booster. There was like, uh, I don't know how many of these there were, but those, you know, the O rings, like plastic black rings that they put in were, were in there to seal the booster. And they had another one for redundancy. Mm. And, and so they would, sometimes they would see these tests where it was just like, you know, one would be completely destroyed and then the secondary one would be like barely holding on or whatever. Hmm. Um, but I feel like Netflix has probably learned a lesson or two after that Ted Bundy, uh, that Ted Bundy documentary, which focused solely on him yeah, and barely touched on the victims. This one yep. actually goes on 
to tell you about all seven of the astronauts, including if you if you're if you're just now first ever hearing about Challenger, a teacher who was supposed to go up in in space and be the she would be the first teacher in space. Um and uh and it talks about you know talks about her and it talks about her journey getting getting on the getting on the rocket the people who like there was a, an alternate just in case she couldn't go up uh you know who was talking about like yeah i really wanted to but you know uh krista was so and they were talking about how how unbelievable of a person she was and everything hmm. um but uh but yeah the 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 it's only i think four episodes or so uh, it, it goes over obviously what happens to challenger, why it was launched on January 28th of that year when it was, it was supposed to do it on like uh, the 24th or something. And they kept moving it up and moving it up. And, uh, and then there's a whole thing about the argument that NASA had with the, the company that, uh, that made the rocket boosters and mm. how like there was this, like, we don't think you should launch today. We don't think you should do it. And, and, uh, because of a lot of pressure that was felt in NASA, they felt like they should just go, go with it. So um, NASA was really pushing the launch, but the company was saying not, not so fast. Yeah. Because they saw, they saw what was going on and they, and the, there was a pressure because they were, cause NASA was sort of saying we need to, we, we, we need to launch as many rockets as possible. We need to show the power of the space program. And uh, we need, you know, and when we tell senators that we're, hey, we're going to be, we're going to be launching all these rockets. We're going to be using your money for, for, for good use. Um, there was a, there was a, uh, I guess a, there's sort of a pressure that if they didn't launch Challenger when they did, they would have been way behind their schedule and would not have been able to launch as many as they wanted to. Mm. And so, uh, you know, once again, business decisions a lot of times get in the way of yep. of uh, actual common sense, and that's what this that's what that the the disaster is about. But I would also just recommend it just for the fact that it actually goes over the astronauts' lives and the people who you know who lived with them during the time and and everything because that's something that I had never heard before. Sure. I had only heard the I had only heard that seven, you know, people I didn't know died in this in this explosion. And I didn't really know anything much about them or anything. Uh, and uh, and this this uh, series does a really good job of, of covering all of that. So. Man, I need to watch this. I <clears throat> what am I, two years older than you, a year and a half older than yeah, you? Yeah, you're a couple of years older. Pretty sure it was 11. We had a school assembly mm-hmm. in the gym and. Pretty quick after the explosion, we had sudden recess for everyone uh, because they just didn't know how to react uh, right. other than to send us all outside to play and hope that we would forget this horrible thing we saw. I do remember, <clears throat> and it might have been uh, my parents um, talking about it. I do remember there being a buzz because they had, they had chosen a teacher and it was going to be a big deal. Um, and then I do remember after the explosion, uh, hearing about the O-rings over and over and over and over again. Uh, mm. but I really want to watch this. This really interests me. That was like you said, like nine 11. I remember growing up, my parents would talk about where were you when JFK was shot? Uh, mm. that's the mm. kind of thing that they would remember. And, um, the, the challenger disaster is the first thing in my life that I can remember, uh, with that kind of an impact. I can even remember 
where I was sitting in the gymnasium. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I'm glad that you say it's a, a good documentary and I'm glad that they focus on, uh, on the victims. And, uh, it sounds like there's some revelations in there that I'll be curious about too. Yeah. That's the most important thing is anytime you hear any kind of story, I mean, nine 11 is definitely one of the biggest, uh, that does that. But, uh, when you first hear certain things on a certain day, you have to, in your, in your, you know, you have to be disciplined and realize that things can change very quickly about now they kind of knew that it was the o-rings and this but i i think i remember and this is my nine-year-old brain thinking of this though i think i remember hearing about o-rings but i didn't hear anything about people making bad decisions or you know being responsible for it i just thought it was ah you know that's something that happens that was unfortunate that they need to fix for future flights uh, but you know, when you actually go and, and I had actually, before this documentary a couple of years ago, just went to the Wikipedia page on challenger and was just reading about it and just going, Oh my God, it did, all this stuff that had happened. And like, they mm. go second by second on that whole thing, what people are saying over the radio and, and, uh, and everything, uh, you know, I, that's one thing that this documentary now, this is either good or bad in your eyes, it doesn't do that second by second thing. Because I think that, I think that feels exploitative in a way, because yeah. I think the astronauts, some of, at least a couple of them knew that there was something really major wrong with that, mm. with the, with the rocket as they were, as they were going up there. I, if I remember correctly and uh, you know, going that second by second and knowing it, you know, here's where this person was and here's where this person, you know, doing it. And this is what they were doing and wasn't saying, and everything. they don't go that far. But, uh, you know, it's, um, it is, it is something that if you didn't, if all you know is that it exploded and all you knew was, oh, O-rings, then you don't know all the story. Mm. What was the, uh, what was the Challenger's mission to remember? go to space? And I think she was going to do, weren't they going to do a spacewalk? They were, no, they were, they, they do mention it. Uh, they were doing, they were doing one of those things that sound like it's not a big deal. Like, you, you know yeah. how in the Simpsons Fixing a telescope make, or something. Yeah. It wasn't that even it was, it was like how this, uh, how these reacted in, in zero gravity or whatever, something, mm. how something reacted. And I don't even actually remember. I hate saying, uh, you know, I would hate to say what it is and it's not what it is. But I, if I recall correctly, it wasn't anything just like that would blow your mind or anything like that. But these are type of things that NASA likes to do because they it informs them of a lot of things that are that mm-hmm. you know you know it, the Simpsons made fun of that and when the Homer goes to space one where it's like it, when Homer was like screwing everything up and, and he's like he's like damn it Homer now we'll never know if tiny ants can sort tiny screws in space you know <laughs> um, uh, that 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 type of thing it was it was that kind of experiment though it was something that you know how the effects of this uh and it was a very small thing but anyway yeah, yeah that was uh I, I was i was 6 uh so was i say yeah i was 6 so i don't even remember a whole lot of that i think we actually watched the launch cuz the launch was televised so i think we actually saw the whole thing happen in real time 
I, I'm, I like wonder what was going on with my school. Uh, if it was, if it was my school district or whatever, I was in the Franklin special school district at the time. Uh, the, uh, I, was there a reason like that? Oh, yeah, we didn't fucking space. We don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, who knows what it was? All I know is that we were at recess when this happened and then went back in and heard about it afterwards. And then I heard yeah. like after that, I was like, my brother was watching it and like all these other schools were watching it. And I was like, well, why were we not watching yeah. it at the time? Yeah. I mean, who knows, who knows what would be, I mean, maybe it was good that I didn't see it live. I don't know, but, um, it's those flashbulb memories and flashbulb memories can be, uh, erratic too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what were you guys doing on nine eleven? Just speaking of that, we oh. my roommate uh, woke me up when the first plane had hit. Um, and I was just at home. We all lived with the four other guys, and we watched. Uh, I was working at Hollywood twenty seven. I had to go in that night uh, for an evening oh, shift. Yeah. When I got there, uh, the GM said we're closing. Um, all you have to do is shut down the projectors when they're all done and go home. Um, but yeah, I watched it on TV in the living room with my roommates. Huh. Huh. I had the, uh, it was a crazy day, even if oh, that didn't happen. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was not working at movie theaters at the time. I was working at a company that, that shot depositions. And I was a videographer for that. So my, my job was to come in and like set up a background and set up all the microphones, get the, get a camera set up. And, uh, and, you know, that was my routine back then was just like, go to this company at like six o'clock in the morning and then like pick up a whole bunch of equipment, take it to a place. This time it was the courthouse in Nashville. Um, and, uh, and I set up all my stuff and I think the deposition was supposed to happen at like nine o'clock or something. So I probably would not have been able to get in with all my equipment at the time if it, if it was like an hour later or something like that. But I sat there and the deposition was supposed to happen at nine and nobody, even the court reporter wasn't there at nine o'clock. And, uh, I was like, okay, I'll give it like another 10, 15 minutes. And, uh, and then, uh, nobody showed up. And so there was this discussion that the guy that we were doing a deposition of might be violent in some way or whatever. Hmm. And that, that they may have to move the deposition and all that. So I was like, okay, so I called my company. Nobody had called me, by the way. Nobody said anything. <laughs> I guess they assumed I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, I said uh, I called. I called my company up, and they probably were like, "Man, you sound like an insane person. How do you not know yeah. what's going on?" <laughs> I said, "Are we doing this deposition today or not?" And he goes, "Did you have you not been told?" I was like, "No." What? And I thought it was gonna. He's gonna tell me that they'd been moved or something. Right. Right. And he's like, he told me the whole thing. Two planes crashed in the World Trade Center, the Pentagon. There's another one that's crashed in Pennsylvania and all this. And uh, I was like, okay, well, is, I said, I said, do I need to leave? And he's like, I think they're still going to do the deposition. Oh, shit. So I was Jesus. Like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> and, uh, and like, so like they do end up showing, I called the, uh, I think I called the lawyer. And the lawyer was like, I think I called the lawyer first and they didn't say anything uh about 9-11 at all they just said they said oh yeah i think it's going on today okay all right and then finally people started filing in 
and we were all just kind of like, you know, why are we here? I think, I think, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the lawyer who was doing the, who was uh, in charge of the deposition, maybe she just didn't give a shit. I don't know. She just, she was ready to, to depose this guy and she, did, and we did it for like eight hours that day. We, uh, Holy shit. We, uh, we, we did it for about four hours in the courthouse. Then they, uh, evacuated the courthouse and then we did it at the Vanderbilt Hyatt for another four hours. Oh, wow. Jesus. But, um, I was like, I was sitting there going, I was sitting there th- like during this deposition going, why are we here? Yeah. Like this is, I mean, this is, I mean, yeah, this is an important, I mean, this is important in you guys world and everything, but this isn't nearly what's going on. Um, I actually, actually wondered if the towers were going to collapse and they did while I was doing this deposition. And you I, had no knowledge of what was going on. Right? That. I actually thought like, it's possible those things could crumble and they did. Yeah. I was like, I was yeah. stunned at all that. We went to like the, during a, lunch break me and the court reporter went to flying saucer uh, and, yeah. and and had our lunch there and the tvs were all mm. on on that and everything and and so yeah that was what was going on that day man that was a that was a crazy ass day no matter it what. is a crazy ass day <clears throat> i had when the second plane hit or it might have been when the, the first tower fell i went to wake up my fifth roommate who was sleeping mm-hmm. um, because he was a super late sleeper and this was and I, I woke in, I woke him up, and I said, "Dude, um, it's tragic, but I think there's like history going on right now. You may want to come watch the news that like terrorists are attacking." He was like, "Ah, oh, catch the news later." And he rolled back over. Wow, that's his <laughs> nine. That's his nine eleven experience. Yeah, yeah. He, he slept through the whole thing. He's probably got like a, a completely different story of like I hopped up and asked for what I could do. And all that yeah, stuff. right, right. I, yeah. uh, I was in Louisville at the time uh, going to school and uh, I, I woke up to Howard Stern every morning mm. uh, back when he was on terrestrial radio. And I woke up at eight ish or so. Uh, and I heard him and Robin talking about like, this is crazy. What's going on out here? It's like the end of the world out here. They were still broadcasting in New York and Midtown while this was going on. Wow. And so I was like, what the fuck is going on? I get up and I turn on the TV and uh, I call my, my cousin. Uh, we, we did the same thing. We, I saw in real time, the second plane hit. And then I saw the, the uh, towers come down in real time too. The, the tangent to that story is that, you know, I had, I had class that day. Of course I didn't go to fucking class. Mm-hmm. Right. I had a meteorology class that I took as like a football player elective you know, easy a type of thing. <laughs> and it was taught by the local weatherman. Okay. We had a test scheduled that day. And I was like, ain't no fucking way that somebody with a news organization is going to do that test. So I didn't go, obviously motherfucker had that test oh, wow. that day mm. and refused to let anybody make it up. Ah, there was only yeah, like 10 people guys. that showed up. To that class and he motherfucking gave that i got a c in that class my only c in college was because of that motherfucking oh asshole. i got a lot of c's in college <laughs> <laughs> and i had a i had a i had a four point like zero five gpa in high school i went to college and said fuck grades <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody it's time to talk about better help yeah it is it's better help time. Mm-hmm. It's time to get uh, 
better help, not just regular help, better. Better. So I've been uh, doing this for right over a year. Mm. And so I had a nice little session. I think it was last weekend. And we were talking about a lot of stuff that happened right around that time that we were talking about. And my, by the way, my counselor has a memory like a steel trap. Because mm. she was like, we were talking about that like last October. And I was like, really? <laughs> then she goes hey, back. And she's flash. like, remember when I, when I assigned you this homework and stuff like that? Pull that up. Which you can on the service, by the way. That's awesome. Good therapists take excellent notes, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she she definitely did. And uh, yeah, so we we pulled up what my goals were. Seriously, like the first uh, session that I did, she's like, oh, look at your goals. Where are you at now in the, the, the realms of like physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, things like that? And I reminded myself of what, by the way, those were the before times. <laughs> so I thought mm. I was doing a lot better back then. Um, and I was like, yeah, I want to work on this, work on this. And these are th- things that I'm still working on, but I have made progress on it. And, uh, so, so these, we were talking earlier, Jeremy and I were about like worksheets and homework and stuff like that, which sounds negative. Uh, but, but it's not, it's actually stuff that you can just basically see how you've been, see what your thoughts were then, what kind of place you were in at a certain moment of time. <clears throat> and it works in two ways. It can work to help remind you of something. And it also can kind of gauge your process or your progress where you can say like, you know what? I'm doing better than I was. And I've, I've mentioned many times uh, with Jeremy, who was a hot mess a while ago uh, that I've seen. Uh, I'm kidding about that. I have seen so much progress in Jeremy throughout his therapeutic experience. I hope you don't mind me saying that. Not Jeremy, at all. But, Not at all. Uh, I mean, it's you're you're able to do things that you weren't able to do, or at least be comfortable with before. And I think mm-hmm. that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important we to uh, take stock in therapy and um, at least reward yourself in small ways for the progress that you have made. At least take yeah. note of those steps of progress. I like that you you mentioned you've been doing this for a year because we underline again, this is not a one and done. And I realize a lot of people can't afford to do it every week for a year. And we're not suggesting everybody even needs to go once a week or have therapy once a week. Uh, but it's not a, it's not a short process therapy. It's a, it's a journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like getting in shape. It's, you can't go to the gym twice and be like, why don't I have pecs yet? Uh, <laughs> and even when you do go to the gym for a long time, you have to continue that to yeah. maintain yes. your stuff. You know that's what I mean? Very and good that's point. Why nobody does it. <laughs> <laughs> but with therapy, you don't have to lift any physical weights, only yes. emotional ones, yes. and you can do it from your own home with better help. Yeah, yeah. This service is spectacular. It's perfect for these times. Uh, you can do it all from your own home. You can do a uh, chat option or a video option. Um, I prefer the chat so that I can keep my private business private. Um, and you've got the ability to do that. You've got the ability to update your counselor uh, on your, your uh, check-in page or your uh, counseling room. Uh, you can pull up those old quizzes or, or feelings questionnaires and things like that. Uh, and it, it really does serve to, to help mark your progress. 
I I can't recommend this enough. Uh, if you are having any problems with stress, anger, um, depression, sadness, anxiety, worriedness, um, alcoholism, substance issues, uh, even questions or issues related to LGBT issues, they have somebody that could help. Okay, so you sign up at BetterHelp.com slash SendCast, and you go through the matching process very, very quickly. Uh, do it. Do it if you feel like doing it, man. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's something in my life that is good, and I have heard from many people uh, that this is a good thing. So go to BetterHelp.com, help, H-E-L-P, slash SendCast. You get 10% off your first month. Do not. That's not nothing, but also... If you have problems with payment, anything like that, let them know. They have people that are on that. Uh, this service is great. BetterHelp.com slash SendCast. Do it now. Don't wait. Don't wait anymore. Do it. Well, I hate this is an awkward transition because I do have one more uh, recommend, uh, and it's about a plane, and it's okay. about terrorism. Uh, but just kind of let's all mentally move on. Uh, <laughs> Air Force One. Ah. is a movie that rules my balls. Oh, my God. (laughs) This movie is not perfect. It's not even close to perfect, but I love it. It's 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 just it's merriment. It is it is late 90s happiness to me. Mm -hmm. Harrison Ford playing the president. Mm -hmm. That's a former Marine. And and like and and thwarts terror left and right, and he tells the terrorists to run, be afraid, motherfuckers, because I'm coming for you. And later on that same night, he gets hijacked by Gary Oldman and his goatee mm-hmm. and a bunch of and a bunch of Russians, mainly his goatee, mainly his goatee in uh, in Air Force One. Roll credits. Mm-hmm. And so so how are they going to get so in, in Air Force One in the actual airplane? They uh, they have an escape hatch for the president if there's if there's a hijacking they they get the president to the escape hatch and it goes out it, it gets expelled and turns out president never got on that escape hatch mm-hmm. and he's gonna wreak some havoc so it's yeah like, it's die hard on a plane and and but he that's, goes that's after bad leadership <laughs> why because his he family is on he's board important I don't care. He's more family important. is on board. He took an this, oath. This, this man, is the highest office in the land. Fuck his family. <laughs> this man is all about his family. He needs to survive. And, and the uh, and the girl from the Pritzker family, who's only in three movies. Yes. We've talked about two of them in the last two weeks. Yes. Uh, I'll be honest. I have only seen this movie uh, twice. Uh, I. I have only seen this movie once in, in theaters, and uh, I liked it okay, but it, it didn't strike me as, oh my God, I'm going to rave about this for forever. But it sounds like uh, you uh, want me to revisit it and see if it's as good as you <laughs> And you might do that recently. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's slam bang action. It's Gary Oldman doing his villain routine, which in the 90s, you could not get any better than that, especially mm-hmm. when he's using accents and shit like that. Glenn Close is the vice president that's tremendously loyal to uh, Harrison Ford's James Marshall, 
And, uh, you know, we're going to, of course, we don't negotiate. Yeah. Yeah, James Marshall. (laughs) See, that's why, that's why like in, in, you know, something like cold pursuit, why, you know, where the guy's name is uh, Coxman, you know, they might as well just do that. Right. Like you might as well do that every time with some of these, these James Marshall, it sounds very presidential, but you might as well just call him Coxman because that's what they're saying. Yeah, exactly. He's uh, yeah. Xander Berkeley's the, the evil, evil bastard. And that's not even a spoiler. Cause that happens within the first 15 minutes of the fucking mm. thing. Uh, Billy Macy is in this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, this movie is awesome. It's tense. It's, it's, it's it, it, a little bit overlong, but it's also like, and, and there's, there's, there's stuff that happens like, okay, obviously he wins the day. Right. And, mm-hmm. and he has to get off my plane, which I think yeah. was in the trailer. And that's a huge, spoiler. So. uh, but he, he kicks Gary Oldman's ass and everything, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. then they have to go through several more obstacles. Like, uh, mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. to do, they're running out of gas. And the engines are going, and nobody knows how to fly a plane except for for James Marshall, but he hasn't flown them <laughs> in forever. And then they get MIGs attacking them, and then they have to do this weird thing and chain zipline thing. It's just a riot. Then they have what's I think considered the worst special effects shot in mm-hmm. the history of movies: the crashing of this plane. Yeah, and I understand it was crashing this plane. <laughs> I, I, dude i know it's 1997 you don't have the shit that we have now but god it's awful and it's hilarious i got i got all nipply as soon as i watched mm-hmm. it i was like yeah because mm-hmm. it's violent and it's crappy it's like on corel draw or something and yeah. <laughs> i i loved it i loved it he's gonna right. save his family jeremy all right i'm just saying he's more important than that your, your country comes <laughs> no first. man is more important Yes. When you become president of the United States, your family is not more important than your your role. You have to stay alive. You stay alive no matter what. I will find you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and it's uh, Wendy Cruzan, I think, is uh, playing. Yeah, his, yeah uh, it is. Yeah, it is. His, uh, his boo. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's Wolfgang, right? Peterson. Mm-hmm. Wolfgang, Peterson. Wolfgang Peterson. No, what did Wolfgang do? Did he do the clear and present danger? No. No. What he, other action films did he do? Well, I mean, he did uh, The Perfect Storm. Right. And uh, Never Ending Story. Um, uh, he did uh, In the Line of Fire. That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, I love all those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he did Das Boat. Uh, yeah, Das it's, Boat. It's, yeah. yeah. And Outbreak. Yeah, Outbreak. Outbreak is a good movie, too. I liked Outbreak. Mm-hmm. Uh, In the Line of Fire, Shatter. He did Troy? And Poseidon, ouch. Yeah. Ooh. Inauspicious end to the career. Is he one, dead? two punch. No, no. no he's he's all around. Good. Okay. Make more Air Force Ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolfgang. Wolfgang. Yeah. Wolfgang. 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 Um, <laughs> it's a fun time. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming because Jeremy did a rant and he did a warn, you don't have any other. This is correct. Uh, okay. So I will. I'll round this out. Uh, and recommend a movie that for a couple of years people have been saying you gotta watch this. This is the best movie ever. I mean, they're not saying <laughs> and they that. were drunk. <laughs> they're drunk too. Yeah, and probably a little high. Um, but uh, no, they uh, it, they're not. They didn't uh, they didn't make it out to be that good of a movie. But uh, Brawl in Cell Block ninety nine is a movie yeah. I've heard a lot about for a long time. 
and I finally watched it. Um, Vince Vaughn uh, plays uh, this guy who uh, is trying to get his life back together. He is married to Jennifer Carpenter from um, uh, Dexter fame. Um, And uh, they've been apart for a while. And uh, he uh, wants to get back together with her. He wants to make babies with her. Uh, and, uh, and he's like, you know, but I'm going to call the drug dealer guy. I said that I'd never call to, (laughs) to have work with him. And because I need, I need to, you know, be able to provide for you and the baby and everything. And she's like, I don't like any of this, but okay. Um, (laughs) um, so uh, we, we flash forward and he's, uh, he's, he's delivering drugs. That's his thing. Um, and he is on a, he's on a, one of the early, uh, missions, I guess that we see him on. Uh, he knows that the, he, he, he's got like a sixth sense about this being a big setup and everything. And sure enough, uh, cops show up, uh, during this, during this thing, he ends up going to jail and, uh, he thinks he's just going to have this nice, easy time of like five, four or five years for what he did. Uh, and he tells his wife, you know, I'll be out in four or five years. Uh, baby will be born. I'll, I'll become a real father after that. Um, and, uh, and so he thinks, all right, that's just what I'm going to do. But then Udo Kier, character actor Udo Kier comes mm-hmm. in, comes in and, uh, tells him, you know what? That deal that you did, you fucked over my client and he wants revenge or he wants not revenge, but he wants you to make amends for it. He wants you to kill some guy in some other prison. And he's like, how do I do that? Well, that's up to you. You have a week or so to do this or else. And so he, his easy time suddenly becomes a matter of like trying to get transferred to this other prison. So he's like picking fights with guards and all sorts (laughs) of stuff. And Vince Vaughn, Vince Vaughn. Now I, I, Vince Vaughn's a big dude. And everything, mm-hmm. I don't never really considered him a badass, but the way they portray the fighting in this, where he gets, anytime somebody punches him or anything, it never affects him at all. <laughs> like, like he gets punched and he never like, uh, or anything like that. It's just like, and, and he just, just keeps walking like he's a, an automaton of some sort. And, uh, and, and so like he's, he's does all this stuff. And of course he's going to get transferred to this prison, that prison is run by Don Johnson and uh, and Don Johnson. Like it's all, it's weird, man. They, they make this prison evil as possible. The Don Johnson and his band of like uh henchmen or whatever, they look like fucking like latter day Nazis or something running this, in this prison because it's because the way they dress and everything, they got these uniforms that are all like real evil looking and and everything. Oh geez. And, um, and so like, yeah, he goes in and of course Vince Vaughn is like basically asking, where's this guy? Where's this guy? Nobody's, <laughs> this guy? I need to nobody's heard, yeah. Nobody's heard of this guy in this prison, but there's this place, this cell block 99 where people are sent. And, uh, he thinks that the reason why people haven't heard of this person is because people who are sent down there are basically just out, you know, they're not, they're not walking around with everybody else. They're basically just sent down there to rot. 
So that's his goal is to get down into this place and find this person. I'll stop there. Um, uh, it, it's really like, it's really, I, I don't, I don't know how like quote unquote good this movie is, but I had a good time with it. Um, huh. I was, I was, I was entertained during it. I thought the fight scenes were fun, just mainly because of Vince Vaughn's ability to just take every punch that comes his way. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. Uh, it's ultra fucking violent. So, you know, if, if there was a worn aspect to this recommend, it is that uh, if you are squeamish, you don't want to watch this movie. But um, uh, yeah, the uh, oh, one other aspect of the thing is, and I didn't get to that. Udo Kier tells him that if he doesn't do this, um, he he will uh, he's going to kidnap his wife and he's going to do something crazy with the baby. Uh, oh he, no! They, they keep on talking about this abortionist from Korea. Uh, that they're going to bring in. And, uh, and so that's like, this is, this is what's going to happen to your baby if you don't do it. So that's the reason why he's so motivated to do it. Um, and, uh, so, so that's what's on the line in this whole movie. Um, anyway, I recommend it. It's, it's got, it's got some, it's got some brutal violence in it, but it's, uh, it's good. I think I would recommend it. He did his, uh, his head shaving for this one, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Like he's, he's bald in this movie. Uh, I did, I, that did not stand out. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, he may be have crazy. been. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't take note of it. Actually, I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. I think he is, but I don't. You know. Yes, he's got the shaved head. Yeah, that's all I. Well, that's yeah, all he, I knew okay, about. Okay, yeah. The 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 reason I would have got I would have eventually come to this thing. The, the he's got this big cross like uh tattooed in the back of his head. So you see that. Oh. Okay. Uh, in there. This is the uh, same writer director as Dragged Across Concrete with Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson that I mm-hmm. warned um, like a year ago. And also Bone Tomahawk. Uh, mm-hmm. I've heard good things about Bone Tomahawk and Brawl in Cell Block 99. So. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'd like to watch this. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on that for show. Now, all of those movies, if you look at the IMDb, uh, are rated exactly the same, essentially, 7.0 or 7.1 or whatever. I have not seen Dragged Across Concrete. For all I know, you would hate this movie too, Jeremy. But, um, I mean, uh, other than the uh, the ultraviolence that's not, like, pervasive or anything. But uh, No, nah, Dragged Across Concrete, they're, like, misogynist, racist fuckholes. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the problem I had with it. Yeah. Don Johnson is, is, I mean, he's had a renaissance, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there was a time there where you knew him only from Miami vice. And then, you know, if you paid attention to a couple of movies in the mid nineties, you had 10 cup and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, there was some, he had a pretty good, you know, run there from the late eighties to the early nineties, but then it just seemed like he went off the map and then he shows up in, uh, was it Eastbound and Down that he shows up in? It's one of the Danny McBride HBO shows he shows up in. I think it's uh. he, plays, he plays his dad in that. Um, and uh, it, it, that was like one of the first times I saw him come back. And then, uh, then uh, yeah, then we have uh, Watchmen, obviously, and yeah. uh, Knives Out and uh and this movie. So, yeah, he's, he's had a renaissance in the last few years. Yeah, he's good. I like him. Mm-hmm. Dude. 
You want to do some questions? Let's do some questions. Okay. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. We have some good questions, and we have some questions that that have been percolating for a while, and Mm -hmm. uh, we want to get to them. We want to give them their proper uh, A's. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Here we go. Hey, Syncast. Hey, you. Uh, what is your favorite concept album, and do you think there are any that could make a good movie or series? The teenage mm. me, and perhaps a small part of me, still would like to have seen the American Idiot movie, but I'm not sure how I felt with Billy Joe actually playing St. Jimmy like was rumored at one point. He's speaking, mm. of course, of the Green Day album that came out in 2006, American Idiot, that was adapted into a Broadway play, uh, but uh Yeah. What do you guys think? Concept albums that can make good movies. We've had a few that have happened before. I will go ahead and do the boring one first because, uh, I mean, it's not boring, but it's it's been made into a movie. My favorite concept album is Pink Floyd, The Wall, hands mm. down. Um, it, uh, was made into a movie by Alan Parker and it's got a lot of like, it's, it's erratic in its, uh, in the way that it's presented because it's uh, basically told out of order and in flashbacks and all that. And I think, I don't know if they're, I don't know what exactly the, the, the intent there was other than just to play a bunch of Pink Floyd, the wall songs in the movie Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, whatever. I've never, maybe I'm dumb, but I've never understood the fascism aspect of Pink Floyd, the wall. Mm -hmm. Like the whole thing is about this kid who's lost his father in a war and his mom is too overprotective. And, and he has, he has, he's treated badly at school and, and he becomes a rock star and he he marries the wrong woman essentially that's the the story that's being told there but in the middle of that i guess this is in his head or something there's like about two or three songs that are like about fascism in there yep the yep. Uh, you know so i don't i don't know exactly what he imagines where that... himself as the dictator right 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 so i'm assuming that it's in his brain at that time because a lot of the times that you in the movie itself, when you see him strung out in the comfortably numb section and everything, mm-hmm. you see him strung out and, and, uh, they, that's where like a lot of the stuff where he's up on stage and he's yelling that fascist stuff and everything in the, in some of the songs. Um, uh, that's when that comes up. So I'm only assuming that, that, that stuff is, is basically like him having some sort of battle with himself internally. But I've never, I mean, I've never, if it actually has a literal, like, reason to be there, I've never been able to understand. No, that in the animation, like, there's just such weird, weird stuff in there that I, I always assumed was in there. Probably with some meaning, but also for weirdness sake. Yeah, I think it was for people <laughs> who were smoking weed and watching the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's basically what it can comes comes down to. Um, but if they wanted to, I think they could make, um, I, I was thinking possibly a series out of this. I don't think you can, not like a three or four season series, more of a limited series, something that lasts like eight or nine episodes, because you can't, Mm -hmm. it's about, uh, it's about a person's life from the point that they're a child to the point that they break down as an adult. You can't really do that as a seasonal series. You can do it as a limited series or you can do it as a movie. Um, if, if, if you just kind of know Pink Floyd, it's got all the songs that you've heard comfortably numb the wall, another brick yeah, in the wall yeah. run like mm-hmm. hell is on there. 
um, and comfortably numb. That scene and that song is one of the most uh, poignant pieces of art about drug use that I think I've ever heard. Mm. Uh, from the guitar solos, the d- disparate guitar solos, to the lyrics, to the whole feel, uh, it, it's it's very striking. So, yeah, I agree. I love The Wall as an album. Um, and I, I can, I've watched The Wall uh, many times, and I've enjoyed it, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, not to uh, me either. Yeah. Listen to that album. Some of the most I've ever heard of any album. I've heard Pink Floyd, The Wall, probably you know, hundreds of times. Watched the movie uh, probably over ten times. And yeah, I've never quite gotten that. I'm sure that there are people out there like, oh, dude, totally. Like this is what it's about. <laughs> but um, but uh, but yeah, I think that it could it deserves a better treatment. It has a it has in its core a good story there mm. uh, that they could tell. I've just like I said, I've never gotten the fascism part of it. I've no. never understood that. It's almost like they were like, there's one other concept about walls we want to insert in here, and like we know that Berlin has a wall. So why don't we do something about that? <laughs> hey, then who's got a wall? Berlin has a wall. China has a wall. Milwaukee has a Milwaukee wall. Milwaukee has an L. <laughs> Jesus. We got an L. Uh, Milwaukee has a wall. <laughs> um, oh, Jesus. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, I mean, if you're talking favorite, and it's really, I mean, I was thinking of like other stuff like, I Quadrophenia would be great, but it's been made into a movie as well. I haven't seen the movie Quadrophenia, but uh just I as nonsensical like, as Tommy. Oh, is it? Okay. But you know, that would be another one that I would offer up. It's just you know And I Tommy know. Uh, Tommy has a linear story, I guess, but it's also fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fucked up and, and it's not it's not about enough. It's it's a, a deaf blind and dumb kid that can play pinball and mm-hmm. he gets diddled by his uncle yeah and that's pretty much what what the whole thing is and i mm-hmm. don't i don't mm-hmm. i don't like it i mm-hmm. don't like it oh well, i instantly upon reading this question uh thought of the unauthorized biography of reinhold messner mm. um the last ben folds five album before break where he would do solo stuff for almost 12 years before they would record again together uh, it's so different. Um, you know, all Ben Folds written music has a certain unique uh, sound, but uh, Reinhold Messner is so different from Naked Baby Photos and the other albums that came before. It almost sounds like his first solo album in a way because it's so unlike the Ben Folds Five stuff. If you know any song off this album, the song you know is probably Army. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I thought about the Army. Um, the whole thing, it's one of my favorite concept albums ever, just because, uh, some, sometimes they try too hard on a concept album to literally make the music from one song flow directly into the music of the next song. Mm-hmm. And this album, I think does that a couple of times, but it's really that the emotions I feel that feels like I'm on a journey when I listen to this album and feels like this is a concept. This is the journey of a person. Uh, my favorite story about the album is that Reinhold Messner is a, a name. They, the, I think the drummer or bass player used to use on fake IDs uh, yeah. in high school. 
<laughs> and they didn't even know there was a real Reinhold Messner, who's apparently like a famous mountain climber, until they were about to release the album. <laughs> and they like reached out and made some arrangements and thanked him in the liner notes for being understanding. Uh, but uh, if you are a Ben Folds fan of any kind and have not listened to this album, this is my favorite of any he's he's been a part of, solo or the band, to listen straight through. Uh, beginning to end uh, and it feels like it feels like an emotional journey and i just feel like you could very easily make a movie out of this in a couple different ways you could you could just fictionalize and <clears throat> write the story of this this character who i guess would be reinhold messner going through the this emotional journey you could also tell the story of the band learning about the real reinhold messner and trying to make contact and then maybe use flashbacks to sort <laughs> of you know explain the songs in there i just i either way uh i just think it would there's so much rich emotion there i think it would be great to to be filmed somehow you're absolutely right and listening as soon as you gave me your answer i listened to this album start to finish because it's only 40 (laughs) minutes or something like that yeah uh and i because i had listened to the tracks individually so many times i forgot what it was like to listen to it all the way it's it's bookended by a song called narcolepsy Mm -hmm. about how he he wants to go to sleep, but he's not tired. And uh, the the final one, the final song is Lullaby, which is one of my favorite uh, songs of his uh, of all time. Uh, and in the the middle of it is the peak. But it, you're right that it, it's an emotional journey of him with a, a girl that he meets, and that uh, he's not he's not moving out with her because I've got good things going on uh, back east. And then the death of his grandmother that really like hits him really, really hard. And uh, then there's some stuff with his dad in there. Uh, But uh, yeah, it's really, really, the story is unique and full of emotion, like you said, but the music all the way through, he uses all kinds of instrumentation. He has like Mm -hmm. a vocoder, he has a cello, he has horns. Horns. Refrain and army is... which he has the the audience replicate uh, in in his performances too, which I think is is awesome. Uh, but yeah, man, that, I, when I listened to this, I was transported back to a time where I listened to this all the time, and also I was struck by the instrumentation and the story. I never really gave a whole lot of thought to the story, but this would make an excellent movie. Man, the first couple of Ben Folds five albums are just piano, electric bass, and drums. Man, they're yep. not it's so raw. And to have this kind of instrumentation and, and depth, and he's gone on to do like he wrote a fucking concerto with the Nashville mm-hmm. Symphony, like he's Which got, we've heard, yeah. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, but yeah, there's my answer. That's a great answer, Chris. How familiar are you with this album? I don't think I am very familiar with this album actually. Wow. Uh, I need to listen to it to see if there's anything that I've heard. Rock in the Suburbs is my all-time Ben Folds uh album experience i wore and that, that was album. the very next album he would make and th- mm-hmm. that's my second favorite for sure mm-hmm. i love that album yeah i wore that out that was one of those just like every night would pop that thing in and go to sleep to it and and everything but uh but yeah that that album uh i'm not familiar with i don't think so i have to listen to it yeah it's good stuff you wrote a benfold sin recently i won't say what what script it's in but 
something about give me my money back, you bitch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something happens. Yeah, something happens where the where the it doesn't work the way it should, and uh, or it does, but it, it doesn't make sense. And uh, yeah, <laughs> as and, and it's an apt sin for the movie. Because, <laughs> so <clears throat> oh, we'll stay in the nineties for mine. I've got I've got two albums from 1998. Uh, one is a celebrated indie uh, release that a lot of people put as the best album of the 90s. Uh, it's Neutral Milk Hotels, The Aeroplane Over the Sea. Mm-hmm. And it's got, you talk about instrument. You've never, ever, 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 nor will you ever hear a song, uh, an album that's recorded like this. Mm-hmm. Have you guys heard this album? I've got mm-hmm. parts of it. The uh, um, This is an album that you recommended... Many years ago, probably like 16 or 17 years ago, uh, that I bought um, uh, and uh, listened to quite a bit. I haven't listened to it in a long time, though. Yeah, this uh, is one of those um, our buddy Mike Hester uh, is is a big fan of. This is one of those that, Jeremy, where the, the music does flow into each other uh, most of the time. Uh, the title track is probably the one that you've heard most often. Uh, in the aeroplane over the sea. Uh, it, but it's it's a story. It, it, let me get back to the, the sound. The sound is like an overdriven speaker that's slightly blown out. Mm. Like he's peaking on, on his vocals, on the instrumentation. He uses everything from a saw, a musical saw, to uh, like a theremin, to horns and strings and acoustic guitar most of the time, uh, and it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, Jeff Mangum, the the lead singer, uh, was was so kind of emotionally drained from this that he stopped pre- performing uh, for a number of years. The story behind it, though, is up for debate. Some people say that it's uh, it's a coming of age story because he has such great lyrical imagery about. Uh, fumbling sexually and stuff like that, that you do when you're just kind of figuring things out with all that. Um, there's some that uh, say that it has to do with incest uh, because it, it's a, 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 a brother and a sister uh, in, in some of them. But mostly, and I choose to uh, think about this, it's, a, it's about a guy that reads the diary of Anne Frank and he wants to travel back in time to save her. Uh, there's a lot of Anne Frank references, uh, 1945 and things like that, uh, that uh, uh, make me believe this. And it makes it into a compelling narrative that he not only wants to go back and save her, he wants to marry her. He wants to absolutely you know, romance her and everything. And uh, apparently during the, uh, the, the making of this record uh, or beforehand, uh, Jeff Mangum had read the diary of Anne Frank and spent like three days crying afterwards. Cause it, it just affected him that much. I, uh, <clears throat> never mind. That guy sounds insufferable. <sighs> I've heard, sorry. I've heard, I've heard this. I've heard this. Do you think <laughs> but he so- also is a genius? I've seen people who've gone through unimaginable grief who didn't cry for three straight days. Like someone's <laughs> exaggerating. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know w- w- this is bad. We were just talking about the Diary of Anne Frank. I did the play in college. It's affecting. It'll make you weep. It really will. 
out of all that, that's what you get. <laughs> I almost said something when you said he had to take several years off after making this album because it drained him so much. And I was just like, God, this guy would wear me the fuck out in real life. And then you get to this, and he says he cried for three straight days. And I either don't believe him or I think that guy's insufferable. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I'll be the bad guy today. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, God. Watch this movie. It'll make you cry for a week. It'll make you turn into a nomad and give up electricity. Start eating wheat. Straight up wheat. <laughs> Christ. Go to, Whole Foods, go to Whole Foods and like, like a bushel of wheat, please. <laughs> It's fresh picked, right? I'm going to yeah. be honest, too. I'll just tell you, I was waiting to tell this anecdote, but I've never listened to much Neutral Milk Hotel because I once heard one of my friends say to another one of my friends, you're still listening to Wilco? You should be listening to Neutral Milk Hotel. And that made me think that they're a bunch of snobbies, and so I never went for it. And now, now, I'm convinced. I mean, the music might be great. I'll listen to it someday. But uh, the snobbies part, I'm pretty sure, is right. <laughs> Wilco and Neutral Milk Hotel are both fantastic. <laughs> They're the uh, same band. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm going to end it with that. I was going to say uh, American Water from the Silver Jews, but <laughs> Dang, Jeremy has broken me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> this guy seems insufferable. <laughs> I can't deal with that shit, man. God. I had loved ones die and it made me cry, but I didn't cry for 72 hours. Get over yourself. <laughs> Let's just move on. I'm sorry. I know I just offended somebody. I apologize. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, let's just do the next one here. What are some of the most obscure ways you've come across a good movie? Uh, this person says the example back in the early 2000s, he was watching an episode of Scrubs. Uh, wherein the janitor was uh, walking in slow motion and giving JD the stink eye. During the scene, slow, ominous music was playing, and I became really curious about what music this is. After quite some internet digging, uh, I found out it was a guy named Philip Glass. Yeah, just a guy named Philip Glass. And that he had written it for a movie called Koyan... I'm sure it, Koyan, it's probably Koyan like Koyanitsky or something like that. It's a trilogy of movies that came. I know. Out. I I yeah. think I've actually seen some of these, <laughs> but <laughs> but that's how this person uh, uh, came across this movie. Gave the movie a watch and loved it. What are some experiences, uh, obscure ways that you've come across good movies? Um. So, Jeremy, you have more than just one, right? Because I, ha I have one of yours. I'm stealing, probably. Go for it. Um. Uh. The we we both uh you know at, when we were at Hollywood 27 back in 1999 got uh because I think because of Russell got mm -hmm. a uh, a tape of the Blair Witch Project before it came out, and this was before it was cut down and. I, if I recall, that Blair Witch that was being distributed on VHS was like a two or two and 15, something like that uh, version of it. There was a lot more arguing in it. Let's just say that. I, if I, <laughs> if I recall. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, so, you know, the, the, the marketing, I don't know if I'm, I'm assuming that 
the people behind Blair Witch and I'm, Artisan Entertainment was the, the company that was behind Blair Witch. Uh, I am sure that uh, in addition to that internet marketing, which was in its infancy at the time and was done so well on that movie where they made it seem like it was a real thing, um, they probably also did this uh, burn a copy on VHS and distribute it to people just to get a little bit of underground uh, word of mouth about it before it came out. It's the only thing that makes sense to me uh, as to why that thing was so readily available. Uh, I mean, it wasn't readily available, but like, you know, enough of enough people out there got their hands on this tape that they were able to say, Hey, I've seen it. It was really good. And, and it really generated a lot of, uh, you know, excitement for the movie before it actually came out. So that's the most unusual way uh, I have uh, come across a movie uh, I, nothing, uh, as obscure as like a tiny reference to something or a song <laughs> or anything like that. I've, I've, I found more music than I have found movies that way. Like if I hear a song in a movie or a TV show that usually becomes something that is on my, my iPhone, uh, after a while. Cause like, I really mm-hmm. like that song. Um, the, uh, and then I guess there was an, a, a sort of a, an appendage to this or whatever. Um, the, one of the, uh, another unusual movie watching experience. It wasn't the, I, the way I found this movie wasn't a big deal. I think it was in the newspaper the Nashville scene, uh, said something about it, but I saw a movie, I believe it was at the old Lucy's record shop <laughs> um, and it was called half cocked. And, uh, it was about a band, uh, it's all I remember. It's about a band. It was shot in Louisville and Chattanooga. Huh. Um, and it came out in the mid nineties. And, uh, and, uh, I remember watching that movie there. I think huh. Mike, Mike was with me on that, uh, when we watched that. So that was an unusual sort of experience and finding a movie, a really obscure movie, uh, that I doubt that you can find in print anywhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I wish I had a better answer to this one, uh, because I, uh, cause I feel like there's probably there, if I were to really just search uh, all the way back in, in time, I could probably come up with one like, oh yeah, that's weird. I saw that movie based on, I don't know, you know, I saw a sticker, uh, you know, like on, like on, <laughs> on a telephone pole one day and decided to do research on it or something. I, I, you know, I, I haven't, I don't think I remember anything like that. So I remember them, uh, showing movies at, at Lucy's Lucy's was a unicorn, man. It was down on what's now, I guess, historic church street mm-hmm. in uh, Nashville. Uh, I played it several times, which oh, is nice. crazy. Uh, but it had a great record shop in the front of it. And then they'd have uh, bands and events and stuff like that in the back. Uh, I saw some really good bands, uh, some really good Nashville bands mm-hmm. at Lucy's. Uh, I was not in one of them, uh, but I liked I liked Lucy's a lot. So you're telling me the three of us saw, in 1999, the three of us saw the same tape of Blair Witch? Because I saw yours, uh, Chris. Yeah, this was before I kind of knew you, and yeah. uh, I, I believe I was going over to Mike's. Yeah, to we saw show, it at Mike's. Yeah, and there were a bunch of people over, and we all watched it there uh, at his apartment. 
Uh, I, I guess Russell gave you a, a different copy, Jeremy, or uh, I, I don't know. Remember. Or maybe he gave me a copy bef- before or after he gave it to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe he gave. I just remember we watched it with all my roommates and bandmates and the gal who was in the band with us who played guitar and sang. Um, thought it was real for weeks, mm-hmm. weeks, and weeks, and weeks. <laughs> I mean, a they really. I mean, they really did a good job of that because uh, when when there was talk about Blair Witch Project. Though they had this website that basically you would go to and it would say, here's where their car was found. And here's where, uh, you know, this was where this was documented and everything. And it looked like real crime photos and stuff too. Like, uh, yeah. uh, and so you, and so for a while there, I was like, is this real? I mean, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't make a bit, they wouldn't come out with a movie with people's deaths on it. Would they? That was the thing. <laughs> that was sort of the thing that kept going through my head. And then I was like, okay. And the IMDB, they tried to do that with the IMDB where they wouldn't even show they, what they would do is show Heather Donahue deceased or whatever mm. in the IMDB. Uh, they would, and, uh, they would say something like, um, uh, archive footage or something like that was next to her thing. So you were like, Oh shit, this is like, Oh, that's, is it real or not? And, you and know, they couldn't you, do press and all that. Yeah. Stuff. You're, yeah. yeah. Your common sense, uh, you know, uh, wins the day, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of people thought it was real. Hmm. Good stuff. I, uh, I saw a movie, uh, purely because I had been to places where it filmed. <laughs> um, so in, um, the 90s, 93 to 97, I'm in college in Illinois, uh, and my best friend Josh has an older brother who went to college there but now lives in Nashville. So we had two separate spring break trips where we drove together down from basically Chicago to Nashville uh, to spend spring break with his brother and watch movies and drink beer and be stupid, smoke clove cigarettes, a bunch of other <laughs> shit. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we went to the Bluebird Cafe. Uh, because mm. this was, as Jeremy was telling us, Josh's brother, this is a famous place. This is where a lot of songwriters have been discovered over the years in, in country music and even in pop music. And so we went, we took our guitars, because we were songwriters, of course, and mm. we dropped our name in the little hat, and uh, we didn't get called. Um, <laughs> but then that week, we, Jeremy was telling us about this movie called The Thing Called Love mm-hmm. um, that River Phoenix had filmed in Nashville. And... This is a year or two into my explosion of movie love. And, you know, I would have watched anything River Phoenix was in at this point in life because he was basically James Dean. and He may have actually died already by the time I heard of this movie. Yeah, Um, I think he had died just after shooting this movie. Yeah. Um, And uh, so he shows us around town a couple other spots where he knows they filmed. They go up on the roof of the hospital over here and yell at the city and... Yada, yada, yada. And this was massive to me. I didn't care about movies until college. I had lived in Baltimore suburbs and podunk towns in Indiana. I'd never been anywhere where anybody had ever shot a movie. I guess it's pretty common for movies to have shot in most any big city. But uh, I was like, they shot a movie right there, right where Mm. where I was sitting. (laughs) And so I went and sought this movie out solely to see the Bluebird Cafe and that hospital and go, oh, I was there. I saw that. I saw that. And I ended mm-hmm. up really liking the movie. And um, it's now one of my favorite Nashville movies to watch. Yeah. Uh, but that first viewing was only because I had been in places and I heard, hey, they shot a movie here and I wanted to see 
in the movie the place where I had stood. Plus, it's got a couple of girlfriends in there too, right? You know, yeah, Samantha, Samantha Mathis, Mathis, and, uh, and Sandra, Sandra Bullock. Bullock. Sandra Bullock had a hell of a '93, where like that was sort of her, like before Speed, that was sort mm-hmm. of her step up. Uh, you know, the thing called Love and De- Demolition Man sort of uh, put her in the consciousness there. Uh, yeah, the thing called Love is actually pretty good. Peter Bogdanovich did that movie. Ah, yeah. Um, There's also some uh, sudden Dermot, Dermot Mulroney. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a uh, 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 um, is it Faith Hill? No, it's uh, well. There's actually a famous country star because yeah. they're all they're all wannabe songwriters, and there's a scene where they break into a famous singer's car. I know who you're talking them. about. It's uh, it's like yeah, it's either like uh, Trisha Yearwood or um, I think it is Trisha Yearwood. She ends up buying the song. By the way, this movie sends all the wrong messages. <laughs> it's so you're like crash your car, and then they're, they're like, like, "We just wanted to meet you." They call the police, and she's like, "I did like your song, though," and I'm like, "Son of a bitch!" <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, I know I've had my turn, Barrett, but Jeremy has reminded me that there is one, I guess, not unusual, uh, uh, but, but still kind of fun way I, I discovered a movie is when I was in high school, one of the teachers said a movie was shot here. And, uh, and I was like, oh, uh, you know, which one is it? And, it, and it's at close range. <laughs> um, and the uh, movie with Christopher Walken, Sean Penn, and Mary Stuart Masterson, um, and uh, and so I watched it based solely on that. And I like, I kind of like at close range. I think it's uh-huh. a pretty good movie. Um, but just watching it and just seeing old Franklin and everything in it, and watching them like watching them on like uh, uh, Hillsborough Road, like uh are they're in one like uh car dealership and they buy a car there and then they drive it across the street to another car dealership and sell it for more money uh <laughs> but like the you know i had no idea any of this stuff was going on again i was believe i was nine or eight or nine when this movie got shot uh but this was during sean penn being married to madonna and yeah. there were like paparazzi everywhere and franklin because they were like, you know, because they had just gotten married and everything and wanted to get pictures of them and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, that is, that is a movie I watched based on that. And Page High School's in it for like, you know, two scenes. Nice. So, yeah. I actually, I, I do that a lot when I've been to a place where I know they filmed and it's really like that city centric. I've watched that a lot. Like mm-hmm. in The Fugitive. I'm always pointing out like, you know, old Chicago stuff and, and things like that. Same thing in Dark Knight. Um, but uh, one that I went out of my way to watch uh, because I was there is when uh, Ben Affleck premiered The Town mm. in Fenway Park. Mm. I was actually eating dinner in the Green Monster. In the Green Monster, there's a restaurant there in Boston. And uh, so we were in Fenway eating. And we saw all these things going up, and we were like, "What's going on out there?" And she's like, "Ben Affleck is showing the town. Apparently, Fenway is is in that." At this point, let's see. This was town was 2010, so I, it was 2010 when we went there. Uh, I had not seen Gone Baby Gone. The only thing I knew about Ben Affleck was really uh, Good While Hunting. Uh, so I I did not go out of my way to watch any of his movies, uh, but because of that. I did watch the town, and of course, I fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that was cool. The other one is is kind of stupid. 
uh, I was really into, and still am, uh, really into to classical music uh, in my uh, early college years. And I really loved the entirety of the Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. We've we've heard the the deep dour part of the the boom, 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 of the Moonlight Sonata. The first movement, though, is my favorite, and it was featured in a movie called The Loss of Sexual Innocence. Mm, <laughs> mm. Yeah. And so I knew this. Somebody read it in a magazine or something like that. And uh, and so it had a great classical soundtrack. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go watch this at our, our local indie uh, thing, theater. And man, there's nothing like going up to a ticket taker at a movie theater and saying, one, for the loss of sexual innocence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the and same that thing movie. that I had when I was like, I'd, I'd like to have one for Snatch, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and the movie sucks. <laughs> the movie's so awful. Now, the soundtrack is fabulous. I enjoyed listening to it, but the movie's terrible. And that, mm-hmm. that, whole, that whole interaction. Of course, it was like a, a teenage girl that was looking at me weirdly. I'm showing up on like a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That was uh, that was Mike Figgis who was um, uh, sort of playing that leaving Las Vegas uh, uh, cachet that he got uh, with into some unusual movies, and yeah, many of them were not good. Did you ever see this one? <laughs> I did not. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, it's it's shitty. <laughs> Hello, Syncast crew. Hello. 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 <laughs> uh, who is an actor that normally plays protagonist roles that you would like to see play the villain? Tom Hanks. Dun, dun, dun. Tom Hanks. <laughs> Tommy Hanks. I, you know, I, I know that at some point uh, an actor gets this, you know, that he becomes an everyman and like uh, – and people start uh, associating the actor with the roles that he plays. So they don't ever want to change that up lest that it uh, affect their career later on down the line, because you always want, you're always, you're selling, you're not only selling the movie, you're selling Tom Hanks in, in Mm. movies. So, uh, but I am assuming at this point in time, I mean, he's at an age now where he should be able to do a villain and not and not be a, it shouldn't be a big deal. But um, but I am assuming that there was some point where he was he's been told, don't ever play the villain because you're always wanting to be Tom Hanks. Now, he's played the bad guy a couple of times. Uh, he's played a bad guy a couple of times, but he's the protagonist of the movie. So like the mm-hmm. Lady Killers and Road to Perdition, those don't really count because he's not the adversary in the movie. Um and what about, uh, what about Philadelphia? Oh yeah, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh man, oh, and I have a really bad thing to say now, and I'm not going to say it. I'm not <laughs> going to say it. Uh, man, see, see, that's the danger of bringing that up because that just popped into my head, and I'm never going to get it out. <laughs> oh, <my> God, <clears throat> oh, it's terrible. funny. No, it's funny. I'm just going, I'm just, you know, come on. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I feel like he, I feel like if, um, I feel like he could, especially now, 
that it doesn't matter and they don't really sell movies based on him well i mean they do they still like you know he's mr rogers he's mm-hmm. he's, he's at the he's at an age now where i think it doesn't matter he's got he's he's already got the career that you know that people would die for and everything another one that i would put on the same kind of plane is will smith Ooh, um, yeah will smith has occasionally played a bad guy but he's never played the adversary in a movie uh and i'm i can guarantee you uh will smith has been told don't play the bad guy in a movie um uh, so uh i would love to see both of them uh play play a bad guy every once in a while i mean look denzel washington was able to was able to to do that he was able to mm-hmm. play good guys and bad guys uh and we loved him no matter what so mm-hmm. uh i don't i've never understood this this idea that they can't play other than that you know um uh so yeah there you go. i like nice. it i nice. like it i have two as well mm-hmm. i uh i have paul rudd mm, yeah N- nicest guy in uh hollywood mm-hmm. and uh jennifer garner <clears throat> um yeah. aka alias <laughs> uh mother to ben affleck's children yeah uh, aka around- 48 still looks amazing all around lovely person, still mm-hmm. kicked ass in Peppermint a couple of years ago, even though that movie wasn't good. Uh, but I've really never seen her play a villain. She's still you know, sort of her career has been built on being that, you know, girl next door type, uh, really sweet person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same with Paul Rudd. And I just think they both have the acting chops. I'd like to see them do a training day kind of thing. I mean, not literally training day because Jennifer Garner saying, you know, smoke these drugs right now. That would probably wouldn't. <laughs> We've got ourselves a problem. Yeah. She could play a villain. I think that'd be fun. I mean, you've seen Bradley Cooper do it too. He's you know can play an uh, asshole al- or play a nice. He guy. almost always at the beginning of his career. He was almost always the, <laughs> the asshole. Well, in the very very beginning on Alias, this is probably why I thought of him. Uh, he was the lovable boy next door. He couldn't mm-hmm. do no wrong. He was a super nice guy. But then, yeah, breaking into movies, wedding crashers, whatnot. He's asshole, asshole. <laughs> yeah, he is but a he dick play- in that movie, man. <laughs> yes, God. He is. <laughs> Sack. His name is Sack. <laughs> Jesus. Was that your two? Oh, your two. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. there a Netflix series uh, that Paul Rudd did where he played two roles? Yes. Where he, yeah. One was, wasn't one a villain? Uh, I didn't see it, so it I count, didn't see but it, but that know. was the one that uh, Tom Brady got in trouble for. I mean, because nobody really knew what the series was about at the time because he was coming out of a, a massage parlor and this was right around the time Robert Kraft and all that stuff came out. You remember that? Oh yeah. 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 And, and so, and, and the scene, the scene in question is, is Tom Brady coming out of a legitimate like massage parlor or like, uh, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like it wasn't a comment on Robert Kraft at all. Mm. Uh, but people saw that and they're like, ha ha ha, Tom Brady's poking his owner, blah, blah, blah. No, no. Poking his owner. Poking it. <laughs> poking it. Some real, real good middle-aged old man. Um, poking his owner. But, uh, but yeah, I don't remember what that was called. Um, no, it was called like Sister Sister or something like that. Uh-uh. My, <laughs> my the, brother, my dog Skip. What was the, what was that? There was an actual sister sister that had the yeah. twins. Uh, what yeah. was the? Uh, was that? Uh, who was? Who were those? I forget. I never God watched it. Damn it! Uh, living with yourself. Living with yourself. 
Must have been so great that nobody talked about it. Well, I mean, it actually <laughs> there were actually people who were talking about it, uh, saying it was pretty good. All right, okay. Yeah, it, it wasn't sound it, like it didn't become a, a phenomenon. It didn't become a phenomenon or anything. It just says that he tries to undergo a treatment to become a better person, only to find out he's been replaced by a new, improved version of himself. So oh. I'm not sure anybody's a villain there. But thanks for trying to torpedo my suggestion, Barrett. Oh, no, no, I got it. It'll uh, make me cry for three straight days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And you'll make your own aeroplane over the sea. The, uh, you got a guitar right back there. The uh, the sister sister uh, was Tia and Tamara Mowry. Ah, uh, there you go. But, My um, answer is Amy Adams. Yeah, She's never done a full on villainous role, and I think she would absolutely nail it. Now, except maybe the master. Oh, yeah, I was going to give the two caveats. Oh, uh, okay, sorry. One is the uh, the master, where she p- plays the kind of controlling. Uh, interest in this uh l ron hubbard-esque venture uh he's he's the out front leader of the uh the religion but she whacks him off and controls basically everything he does literally uh, yeah literally yeah, yeah yeah uh and so yeah she is she is um she's not the primary villain in that she's very subtle with it and it's a beautiful per- performance but she gets very little screen time and she does the most that she can with it uh, and the other one is is your shattered fingers, your uh, sharp objects, <laughs> where she's she's a mess. She's you know an awful person at the beginning of that that uh, miniseries, but she is definitely the protagonist. I thought you were going to go with uh, American Hustle, where uh, she's definitely one of the protagonists, but you know she's like a thief. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's trying to scuzz up their image a little bit. And actually, my second answer is is the same thing. So Bill Hader. Bill Hader ain't ever played like a, a villain, even when he was in Tropic Thunder. Uh, like he wasn't a bad guy. And he, he's you could tell he's trying to do this with Barry, uh, where he's a killer and he murders mm-hmm. and he murders mm-hmm. people um, mm-hmm. and he murders good people in this show. But he is not the antagonist in this movie. He is the protagonist or in this uh, show. He's the protagonist. And it's what makes that show so great is that he's a bad guy that's obviously trying to, to turn uh, turn good. Duh. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I've been thinking about that show a lot recently. And I think I'm going to do a third whole run through there because uh, oh. I watched it as it, as it was going. Then Chris and I and Mike did a podcast on it, watched it again, and that show's unbelievable. That show's yeah, unbelievable. So, so I'm going to match your Watchmen. You've watched Watchmen like three times, haven't you? Me? Yeah. Mm, yes, three times all the way through. Uh, here and there, I've probably got a fourth one uh, racked up. <laughs> spot yep. Yeah, I may do that with Barry. Um. All right. Well, that was our basic ass episode for you. Ooh. Hey, right. hey. Uh, keep going to Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on uh, CinemaSins Twitter, music video since Twitter, uh, SoundCloud, and we're on Discord. And if you want to get on Discord, you can go to our Reddit page and find the link on the right side, or you can private message me on Facebook, and I can give you a link there. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, 
Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Oh, and usually hairless. Let's just cut that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, and here's another definition. It's a pail of water. <laughs> I saw Chris just a few minutes ago. Yep. In person? Mm-hmm. In person. Where you guys, what are you guys doing? Are you doing having a COVID party? It was it was a little butt play. Playing playing <laughs> playing hooky mouth. <laughs> no I, the the uh orthopedic guy was literally like right down the street from chris that's where yeah. that my my guy was so i just uh, called chris and i was like i'm thirsty can i have a diet mountain dew <laughs> <laughs> and i, and and I you knew we would have one yes. there you go that's oh excellent. yeah i'm always stocked on that shit man i know i, it, I know man. you are <clears throat> but look that the the way that 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 uh, delivery system of Diet Mountain Dew, the sixteen point nine fluid ounces bottle, is the only way to get it. the the mm. The other ways are not nearly as good. It's mm. something about that bottle that makes that Diet Mountain Dew taste great. And like everything, like I've gotten Diet Mountain Dew in like the twenty ounce bottle before, not mm-hmm. good. Cans, mm. not good. It's just this, and I don't know why. Don't know what the difference is. Well, I I do think Coke. I like Coke. I like generally all cola products. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think Coke tastes the best in one of those hotel glass glasses with ice mm-hmm. poured over. That's the uh, that is when Coke tastes the best to me. Second best is out of a glass bottle. Um, and then oh, third yeah. would That's be solid. can and fourth would be 20 ounce bottles. So I think it tastes better in certain containers. Uh, that just validates what you're saying that mm-hmm. to you, Diet Mountain Dew tastes better in this particular bottle, uh, than any others. It might just also mean that Diet Mountain Dew largely sucks except for that bottle. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, it doesn't, it doesn't sound good. Does it? Diet Mountain Dew doesn't sound like something that you would drink. <laughs> But yes, like totally perfected that. <laughs> but but like and I don't even know how I got on it in the first place, but um but uh yeah, this sixteen point nine fluid ounce bottle is the way to go. I don't know why that is. I believe you. That tweet, Jeremy, about uh Electro about Jamie Foxx and the Spider Man thing. When did I send it? Was that yesterday or today? That was yesterday. What what are your vibes with that? Because you also sent like a J.K. Simmons thing. That's that confirms my vibes. They're going full multiverse, multiverse right? Okay, this the third Spider-Man movie. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I have read between the lines that I think Wanda is the villain in Doctor Strange two and maybe beyond. Mm. Uh, mm. But this confirms to me that also Spider-Man, which is Sony's movie more than it is mm-hmm. Marvel's, is going full multiverse. So they're probably trying to get McGuire. And Andrew Garfield, and they're probably trying to get uh, who else? Maybe Doc Ock, maybe Alfred Molina, or uh, God, it would they would probably go after Willem Dafoe if they could. And they're just going to multiverse the shit out of it, and what, people what you, are going to love it. What do you think about this? I think so. it's a cameo fest. It better be a good fucking story because we already had 
a solid Spider-Verse movie. Right, 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 I don't right, need right. a live-action version of this. But DC's doing the same fucking thing with this Flash movie. They brought back Michael Keaton. They're bringing back Ben Affleck. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to be a cameo fest of previous incarnations on both sides of the comic. I'm not here for it. I, the, the story better be fucking awesome because if it's simply a second Spider-Man swings in, rips off his thing, and it's Tobey Maguire... People are going to lose their minds, and I will not be one of them. That will not yeah, entertain yeah. me. No, I got you. I got you. I yeah, you're right. I mean, if Spider Verse works so well without being a cameo fest, exactly. You know, and you'd think that you could pull that off in the MCU, but it's not really MCU. I, I didn't get the feeling that Far From Home was an MCU movie at all. No, I didn't eat all over it. But um, I do think yes. they are now going to go back and say that J.K. Simmons is part of this multiverse thing, and they're yeah. they're going to they're going to have WandaVision and Doctor Strange two take place in a time where they they can justify that. Um, and the next Spider Man will probably pick up maybe even right where it left off, and which would be multi multiverse pandemonium. How the fuck did he get into the multiverse? I don't know. I don't know. That's just my that's just what I'm saying now. You know me, I hated that J.K. Simmons cameo yeah, 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 in yeah. that movie, but I think they're going to make it in-universe by bringing in, all the uni- ah, bringing in all the universes. You guys heard about the reshoots on the Zack Snyder. <laughs> oh, you mean the $70 million brand new movie that they're shooting? <laughs> yeah, Basically. Not, it's totally not there a new already. Cut. <laughs> I mean, now you're just plain cheating, right? Like you're, yes. you're, you're, this is no longer, Oh, I had the perfect movie for everybody to watch. Uh, <laughs> and they just fucked it up. Now it's, Oh, let's just make a whole new movie. Yeah. Let's make a four hour new movie. <laughs> are they going to do episodes or is this going to be no. a full thing i think it's going to be a full thing and people people who want it are going to love it and um i'll watch it i would love to love it mind. but it's yeah, not a, a, the, it's a not a different justice. cut of the same movie if you're spending 70 million dollars on reshoots so <clears throat> no anyway no so i mean the it, the fanboys are going to be justified or, you know, stick their chest out and feel justified, but it's yes. a completely different fucking movie. It's not, it it's is. not what you were banging for. Yeah. If I really wild. wanted to troll, I would start asking for the Whedon cut of the Snyder cut. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why don't with the $70 million or whatever, why don't you just make a whole new movie? That's like the sequel to it or something. I mean, Good Jesus question. Christ. Somebody's got a grudge. I'm not even saying it's Snyder, but somebody somewhere has got a grudge against somebody to mm. to throw this much money at remaking essentially a Shit. movie that's already been made. Seventy million dollars, you could just not make a Justice League movie. You know, just don't don't make it. <laughs> go go make uh, five zombie movies. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love my dead gay son. I love my dead gay son. Tammy and the T Rex is on there. Uh, that's that one with the. Uh, Oh. Paul Walker and uh, uh, Jiggle 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 Boobs. <laughs> jiggle Boobs. <laughs> Denise, Denise Richards. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some of that movie. It was on the other day. And by the other day, like a couple of months ago or whatever. But... <laughs> jiggle Boobs. <laughs> 
all out of all the stuff that you could say about Denise Richards, dude, hers <laughs> like demonstrably <laughs> jiggle more than other ones. <laughs> I just kept thinking of that that uh, wild threesome movie. Yeah, uh, man, wild uh, things. Wild things. Uh, yeah. Wild threesome movie. Yeah, man. <laughs> that villain, man. He's such a sleaze fuck in that movie, yeah, man. He sure yeah. is. God, I mean, when that when that threesome between Denise Richards and Nev Campbell happens, he's got this look on his face like, yeah, my <laughs> dick's been waiting for this all day. <laughs> <laughs> right before. <laughs> oh, jeez. Right, be right before can- a canoe gets blown. <laughs> In knock knock, it's uh, it's uh, Anna Diarmas is in the tub, and who's uh, Larissa Izzo? Larissa Izzo, yeah. She's she's by the thing, the the door, and he's trying to get out, and she closes it, and uh, he's like, <laughs> he's like, I have to remind you that I'm married happily. <laughs> 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 it was like the car is waiting outside and uh Anna Diarmas is like did you ever have two girls do this to you oh yeah <laughs> and then she blows them and she's yeah. like happy father's day <laughs> <laughs> oh the movie's bad people are gonna watch it because of you See, okay. that's the that's the reasons why straight up warns become recommends because <laughs> because people are interested to know how bad it is. Can it really be that bad? Is it that unusual? And so mm. it's that it's that Saturday Night Live uh, sketch with Tom Hanks uh, <clears throat> so many years ago, where the family sits down and somebody's like, "Oh, this is awful," and everybody in the family has to eat it. <laughs> and then like and then like he falls down the basement stairs and then everybody has to go and fall down the basement stairs. Um It's just like that, basically. Everybody's gotta see for themselves. Stop your waiting. Your bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. Stop your bullshit. <laughs> What was the the Seinfeld where uh, like uh, Elaine finds out that Putty's a big Christian? You stole my Jesus fish, didn't you? Fish. <laughs> That's why you're going to hell. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hell. <sighs> she gets so mad. If you think I'm going to hell, then it should bother you. Boy, you're the one going to hell. <laughs> it's the God. worst place ever. The the David Putty section of Seinfeld, that is I never experienced that. I don't even know. I've seen uh a couple of episodes with him on it, but I'm not <laughs> oh sure I've God. seen all of them. Um oh, that may be some of the best parts of I agree. Um there's there's one scene where uh Kramer's installing a uh a, uh, a, a trash disposal in his um, shower, bottom of his shower, so he can prepare meals in the shower. <laughs> and uh, he calls up uh, Putty, and he's like, uh, because he knows, he, a mechanic, he knows how to do this. And before he calls him, there's a shot of Putty sitting on the couch and just staring Dude, straight doing ahead. nothing at all. <laughs> 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 oh, the best episode. It's only like maybe two seconds. But the it's best Putty episode great. is the car buying episode where Putty's the car salesman and Jerry's trying to buy a car and George is trying to get 
a candy bar out of a machine. And That's right. Anyway, uh, we interrupted you. You were going to tell us about how you didn't catch most of those. No, it's, I mean, that's the, I don't know what season that is. Is that like six or something? Oh, he's on, on so. for several, a couple seasons, I think. Yeah, the, uh, the, I've seen a couple of episodes. There's that one. I don't remember the whole ramble, but it's really funny because he's r- walking out of the apartment and he's like, I'll come back later, sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like a whole long ramble but at the very end he's like later sex <laughs> what was it uh oh yeah they're going it's when he's uh face painting and he's uh he he leaves the apartment and he's like i'll be back we'll make out <laughs> <laughs> this has got to be the worst episode we've ever done <laughs> worst i'm gonna have to take five years off <laughs> this one took so much out of me <laughs>